We're starting a new series. Um, I didn't know what to call it. I'm usually ready to give a series a title halfway through or sometimes at the end of the series, and you know, then I kind of feel a little more comfortable with it. Um, but this one is in First John, so if you want to turn to the book of First John, now it's not the Gospel of John, it's the book of First John. Go all the way to the back to Revelation, back up a few books, and you'll get to First John. It's a little bit, um, it's kind of a difficult book to outline. If you were to sit down and outline it, uh, it, it almost seems like John has so much information he wants to share. Uh, now it's a shorter book, see, and he's trying, and it's like he's trying to get all this information out. Um, and and it, it, so it, it goes more by themes, I suppose, uh, that are in there. Some of the themes are, you know, false teachings or beliefs about Jesus. He addresses uh, some of those. He brings reassurance to Christians, to real Christians. Now, when I say real Christians, he tries to make very clear that this is what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And this is some of the differences that it should be making in your life. So he he addresses that. He talks about the atoning work of, of Christ. Uh, and again, this comes up in several different places through here. He talks about the seriousness of sin. That sometimes we take sin too lightly. We aren't, aren't as focused on the evilness of sin as, uh, well, I was going to say, as, as is the reality. He talks about love for others and the, the necessity for that, knowing that you're in the truth. And he talks about the possession of eternal life. And these are all condensed really in this short, uh, we, we, we refer to it as a letter, but really uh, the, it's, the communication seems to be more of a, a general writing to churches, a group of churches, as opposed to, uh, to one specific church or even to an individual. You'll notice if you look, there is no, there is no personal greeting or salutation in the beginning or at the end which is typical of when they write a letter. So it seems this is more of a, a general writing to a group of churches that John was not only familiar with but concerned about. Um, and in the early church, all of the, all of the early church fathers attribute this to the Apostle John. Uh, there's some, as you look, there's some that will say it was John the Elder, you know, and just different different things. But it just seems, there's no question, it seems, that, that well... Okay, some have a question, but it just seems that it was written by the Apostle John. One of the sons of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder. I love that. I love that title. What a great nickname, son of, you know, son of thunder. Um, you know, so the, the writing style, the word usage, it's very consistent with the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John was also written by the Apostle John. And, you know, there's so many similarities there, it just seems very clear. Um, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John was written probably about 85 A.D. And this letter, it seems, was written shortly after that, probably between 85 and 90 A.D. One, some of the things he does, he addresses an early form of Gnosticism. Uh, we're going to talk about Gnosticism a little bit later, but he addresses an earlier form of that. Uh, wasn't the, the, the Gnosticism that that belief system didn't seem to be as laid out as it is in later times. Uh, so that's part of how they go about the dating of this. Um, let's pray, and we're going to get into the text itself now. All right, Father, thank you for who you are, and um, wow, it's just revealed so much in the in this. Uh, 
epistle of John here, this first one, we are grateful that we have your word to guide us and to teach us. Uh, Father, I'm a little distracted today, and uh, that's not how I want to be. That's not what I want to be when I'm sharing your word. So I pray that you would uh, just not only bring me into focus, but each one of us. And really, the focus we want is on you and on your word. What do you have to teach us? What do you have to say to us? I don't believe your word is an old, ancient book that doesn't apply to today. It is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is something that we can apply to our life, not only for learning about living, but learning about you. And as we learn more about you, that should affect our living. So teach us, I ask. Focus our minds, our hearts, that we would not only be um, paying attention to you, but very open to your leading, guiding reforming us more into your image, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Here we go. First John chapter one, beginning with the first verse. We're not going to get real far today in some regards. It's, it's, um, well, anyway, let's go. Verse one, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, that's as far as we're going to get today. Now, I, I, what a great picture there, verse 4, really. We're writing this so our joy may be complete. Um, uh, some people, I think, some people seems to, seem to enjoy um, being down. I, I, I don't know. You know, it's not, not the place that you want to be. But anyway, look at the opening verses a bit closer. He says, you know, what was from the beginning? You know, what was from the beginning? What he's talking about here is, is what always existed. When he says, you know, from the beginning, he's talking about the state of things, the state of things at the very start of creation. And what he's doing here is he's telling us that Jesus always existed. As he goes on, he unfolds that a little bit more and you'll see it. But he does the same thing in his gospel account. You know, in the gospel, the very first verse, he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's talking about in the beginning. You say, well, what beginning? doesn't matter. You pick any beginning you want. And what it's saying is in the beginning, the word was already there. He's not talking about the beginning of the word. You know, he's not talking about the beginning of Jesus. What he's talking about is that he was already there. In the beginning, he was there. He, you know, he, he existed. And notice he says, you know, what we have heard. You know, it, it, John is attributed with, with this letter. But he is there, and it's along with the other disciples. Now, you know, it's, it's, he's talking about those who have physically seen Jesus. And some of those who had physically seen Jesus could still be alive at the time that he is doing this writing. So at the time he's writing this, it's not after they all have passed. It's while some are still alive who had seen Jesus face to face, who had seen him, you know, with their own eyes. 
John was the longest living of the 12 apostles, but there certainly could have been other disciples who were still alive. Now, the difference there, you know, we, we sometimes focus on the 12 apostles and as if it, as if Jesus just hung around with just these 12 guys and that was it. But there was a larger group. And as you read through the Gospels, you can see that it becomes very evident. Even as you move into the book of Acts, you can see that it becomes it becomes very evident that there was more. So when he's saying we... He's talking about those who have, you know, those who have seen Jesus, you know, with their own eyes, face to face, who have spent time with him. Some very closely as the apostles, others spending time, but not, not quite as intimate, uh, as the relationship between Christ and, and the apostles. Uh, one of the things I wonder about sometimes is, um, you know, did Jesus have other guys and other, when I say guys, just take it generically, other people, you know, in, in that larger group of disciples who maybe were his favorites a little bit. Now we like to think that Jesus doesn't have favorites. He loves everyone, but some of us make a, make it real difficult to, for him to like us. Don't, don't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, but you know, the, the, um, so when he's saying we here, he is talking, he is speaking not only for himself, he's speaking for those, you know, for those who had, who had seen Jesus, you know, and those who had, you know, physically been there. Now, they, they would have been elderly at this point, but certainly they could have been alive. Some of them could have been younger than John. If I had to guess, I would guess that John was probably, you know, younger than, than Jesus, but, you know, some of that's irrelevant. The point is, he's writing there, and he's writing as an eyewitness. You know, this is something, an, an eyewitness account. It is something that he has seen. It's someone who was there. And in John's case, someone who had spent considerable amount of time with Jesus. As Jesus walked this earth as a man, he spent considerable amount of time. Look at what he says. You know, we're telling you about, he says, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've touched with our hands. This is part where in the very beginning where it seems that he is beginning to address some of these, some of these, uh, false teachings, false, at least two that were beginning to be developed at the time. One is, is, uh, docetism. Now, you know, you can write these down. You, you don't have to. This is just to help you get a handle on the book a little bit more so that as we continue to move through the book, you will see and you will understand more what he's talking about. That's the only reason I'm bringing these things up for you, is so that it will help you to grasp a hold of why he is saying some of the things he is saying. You know, but the, the, the docetism said that Jesus didn't really exist as a human. He only seemed like a human being. He wasn't really a human being. He just seemed like a human being. Now, to us, when we hear some of these things, it sounds ludicrous. But, you know, there are people who believe that. And there are still people who believe it. So what what they're saying, then what docetism is saying, is that there was no incarnation. There was no enfleshment of God. That that Jesus really wasn't born, as we just saw. You know, that Jesus really wasn't born, you know, there and because he never became a man. And then what it also implies and what it, what also comes because of that is that there's really no savior to die on the cross. You see, because if he wasn't a live human being, then there was no one to die on the cross for our sin. And, and docetism said that Christ only seemed to die. You know, it just seemed like that. He couldn't die because he wasn't really a person. Now, you can say, well, that's old stuff. No, this is very similar to Christ, this is very similar to Christian science today. To some of the beliefs that Christian science has. Yeah, the the uh, the other thing he was addressing was Gnosticism, which I mentioned to you before. 
And, uh, you know, they believe, Gnostic belief is that salvation comes through some enlightenment, some enlightened belief, that you get to a place where you have some special form of knowledge, and now that special form of knowledge is only given to those who are part of that group, you see. If you're outside of that group, then you can't have that knowledge. I mean, this is what, you know, this is what Gnosticism is saying. It's, this is very similar to Scientology and Mormonism today. A lot of similarities there. So when he's talking about these two things, as he's going through these, they very much talk about some of the things that we see and some of the beliefs we come across today. And John confronts both of these false teachings by saying that, you know, he and others had heard, seen, and physically touched Jesus. That he was real. John chapter 1 again, in the 14th verse, you know, that first verse we looked at, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then you keep reading, and down in verse 14 it says, the Word became flesh. The Word you know, and he's talking about Christ, and this is where it becomes real apparent. You know, the, he, he came flesh and took up residence among us. He was here with us. And he says, we observed, you know, we observed uh, his glory. We saw what was the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That eternally existent word, the one who existed in the beginning took on full humanity. Now, he took on full humanity, yet he did that without sin. He was fully human, and yet he was also fully God. And it tells us in Philippians, you know, that, he, that he, he chose not to use all of those, all of those um, attributes, qualities of God for a time, but he was still God, and you see some of that. You see some of those, some of those attributes peak out more than peak out a little bit later early it's early in the gospel of john but you know he um, philip comes to him and he says i i saw you while you were under the tree oh how could you do that he says we read in the we read in the gospels too where it says that jesus didn't trust and didn't trust himself to him because he know he knew what was in man's heart how could he know what was in man's heart you see because he was still god he came and he took on flesh and he and it was in that flesh that you know that he that he became the sacrifice for our sin. I, I like the way that it says here in this verse that he took up residence. That word means taber. That means that word can be translated tabernacled. It's not translated tabernacled because we don't talk like that. I mean, we we don't talk like that. But that's what it is. It's a great picture of the Old Testament where God wanted to be with his people. Think through the Bible real quickly here. You know, just, you know, like they said, here, here's the fast version. So here's the fast version. In the, be- in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, you know, verse 1. And what did he do? That he, he created this garden. Why? So he and man could live together. He has a garden, and he and and Adam and Eve, you know, and they and they met, and they would they would be in there, and they could be together. Then sin comes. Sin comes, and you know God can't be in the presence of sin, and so what you have then is that separation uh, of God and man due to sin. 
But then what happens then as a nation, he raises up a nation, God raises up a nation. And as he raises up this nation and he wants to be together again with his people, what do they do? They built the tabernacle, that place where God resided. Then they could come in and it says, you know, that the cloud came and filled and the glory of the Lord filled that. Well, does that mean God was confined? No. What it meant was now the people could have a tangible thing where they could go and they could realize I can be together and I can fellowship together with God again. Well, then what happens? Well, as we saw as when we were in Second Chronicles, uh, they didn't do so well. Sin came in again, the nation explodes, you know, and is fractured, never, you know, and not brought back together again. It is one whole nation of the 12 tribes again yet. And, you know, it's just, it's just blown apart. And God still wants to be with his people. So God comes down and lives to be with his people. And he dies on the cross for the sin of his people. Well, then you have, you know, you have the rest of the New Testament there, and you, you know, which is a lot of, there's not only teaching, there's some history in there too, uh, the book of, the Gospels, the book of Acts, and you know, you see people still struggled with the sin. Go to the end of the book. Revelation. And what happens? The new heaven and a new earth where God and man can once again dwell together. There's your picture that he tabernacled with us. It's that Old Testament picture of dwelling among his people. They would, the guy, the, the folks that he wrote to would be very clearly reminded of this, you know, very clearly. And they had the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, every year. But it says, you know, it, it, you know, the verse also says, you know, that we observed him. You know, we observed him. That word means to contemplate, to view attentively. Now, that is the same word in John 1.14 as you see in 1 John 1 verse 1. Where he says, you know, that we have, that we observed him. It's more than simply seeing things. It's, it's looking to discover. You know, that we were looking to discover. Just like in that kid's video, they had a little bit of a messed up idea of what the Messiah was going to be. Was he going to be the king who came and ruled in place of Caesar? That was that, that's what they're thinking. Was he going to be the king that ruled in place of Caesar? Was he going to be the warrior that came and wiped out this this army, these people? They were living under Roman authority. They were living at, they were a conquered people and had the Roman soldiers even. Was he going to be the warrior, you know, to, to do that? So what they did is, you know, they came and they observed. They were looking to see, you know, is he this the Messiah that we were waiting for? John's telling them what he learned through a careful observation of Jesus as he lived alongside Jesus for an extended period of time. I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. You know, he's, I've touched with our hands. You know, he was a physically present person in Luke chapter 24. After the resurrection, Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. Touch me and see. 
Because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. See, he was a real flesh and bone person. John was speaking of a real individual who actually lived and walked among us on this earth for a while. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have touched with our hands. And he refers to him then as the word of life. The word of life. Well, the one who is life. The one who reveals life. The one who gives life. The word is a, it's a creative expression, you know, of God by which everything was made. Genesis chapter one, eight times we read, and God said, and God said, you know, showing, it shows the importance of the word in, in creation. And that notice it says he is the word of life, not a word about life. It's not that he's just giving us information. He is the dispenser of life, the word where life is from, where life is anchored. And he says that life was revealed. That life was revealed openly, freely made known to man. No secret hidden knowledge. No, not, nothing, nothing that is just for, just for a select group. <coughs> but a knowledge that was there for all people to be able to see. For all people to be, to be able to know Him. God was revealed in His creation. In Romans chapter 1, it says, For His individual attributes, that is, His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen. Have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. He he reveals Himself in His Word, you know, the, the Bible. John chapter 20, as he's writing, he says, But these things are written, why so you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. By believing, you might have life in his name. He has given us his word so that we can know him. He has given us his word so that we can understand him, so we can, so we, we can have this relationship with him. And he's most clearly revealed in Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, he was clearly revealing who, who God is. He was clearly showing them. If someone is wrong about Christ Jesus, he is wrong about God. We have religions today that devalue who Christ is. They, some will say he's not God. Some will say Jesus isn't God. Some will say Jesus and Christ are two different entities. If they're wrong about Jesus, they're wrong about God. Because he's God. His word is clear about that. This is the one, this is the, you know, the, the one where we need to get right. You can talk about, you know, baptism and do we baptize infants? Do we baptize adults? Do we baptize them three times forward, one times backwards? You know, do we, uh, you know, you, all of these other things, you know, and I think, understand, I think baptism is important. It's an expression where we express our commitment to God, where we pretty much are, we're acting out a sermon and saying to all these people that are in front of us, for, I want to, I want to be living for God. And I want you to know that I want to be living for God. And part of the reason that we do this, you know, is so that you can help hold me accountable to God and I can help, you know, and this is going to help hold me accountable to you. So baptism is important. But it's not as important as realizing who Jesus is and knowing that he's God. 
we're going to share communion in a couple of weeks again. And you know, we do communion differently than some other churches do. And we're going to, this time we're going to be doing it differently than we've ever done it in 30 years. And, you know, but w- what are we doing? We're, we're remembering Jesus Christ in communion. To how we go about it. Don't focus on that and get lost on the why we do it. You know, we do it to remember Jesus Christ, you know, and, and, and who he is. If you get, if someone's wrong about Christ and you get that wrong, uh, you're wrong about God. Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God to man. He's the life that was revealed. He's also the life, that, you know, this life that we have is experienced. John had a personal encounter with Jesus. He said, I'm telling you about somebody that I've heard. I've heard him. I'm telling you about somebody I've seen with my own eyes. I'm telling you about somebody I have touched with my own hands. It's this personal encounter with Jesus, and it's our personal encounter with Jesus that that makes the difference in our life. It's not whether or not we can say all the right words. It's not whether or not we prayed a certain prayer. That's not. It's that relationship with Christ that he's talking about. And he says, you know, that he is the eternal life, the eternal life, Jesus, the one who who has life in himself. John chapter 14, you know, verse 6, Jesus said, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, we've talked about this before, you know, he doesn't say, I'm one of the ways. One of the lies that you hear now is, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways to God. You know, all these, it's, it's the same God, all these different, no, it's not. All these different religions, it's the same God. No, it isn't. Because some of them deny Jesus and who he is. And it's not the same. You know, somebody say, well, you know, then, then there's a lot of other ways. No, notice what he says here. Jesus says, I am the way, the one and only way. I am the truth, the one and only, and I am the life. And in case you miss it, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay. You go out and tell that to your friends, they're going to say you're rude, you're ignorant, you're all these other things, you know, and, and that, you know, you're, you're being exclusive. So remember how this statement that Jesus made even came about. This was after the Last Supper and after the Last Supper and, and he and his disciples, uh, the disciples are just beginning to catch on to the fact that as Jesus was telling them that he was going to die, and they were really still not grasping it, but beginning to understand part of that. And in the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 14, you know, uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's talking to a group of, of staunch Jewish guys who believed in one God and one God only. And what he says to them is in the same way, in the same manner, with the same fervency that you believe in God, believe also in me. Because why? Because he is God. He says, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And he is telling them, you know, that he's going to go. And really what he says there is, uh, in my going... uh, by my going, I've prepared that place for you. We get this picture that Jesus is up there with a saw, zuba, zuba. You know, and when it's done and it's ready, hey, your spot's ready. And people say, why'd you point at me? I'm just saying. I, you know, I, I, that's not what it is. It's his going that prepared that, that, that way for us. And why? So that where, so that where I am, there you may be also. 
so that we might, this isn't the word, but this is the picture, be tabernacled together. Okay, so then Thomas says, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Ding, ding, ding. There's the answer. This is what he said. It's not Jesus trying to be rude or ignorant. It is Jesus trying to be clear, very clear on, on, you know, how and where they're going to meet. Don and I meet for breakfast sometimes and, you know, we go out for breakfast and, and what we do, we exchange, we, we exchange information and, you know, where do you want to go? Oh, what part of town are you going to be in? You know, we, so, so we do that. And then we settle on a place and whoop, right, right there. Why? Well, because the goal is that we could meet together. That's the goal. So we're real clear with each other on where it is we're headed to and where it is we're going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where we're going. How do we know the way? Ding, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes. I'm pointing to a monitor. Uh, no, No one comes to the Father but through me. He is being as clear as he can be here. He is the source of eternal life. He is the sovereign over life. First John, a little bit later, we're going to get to this in who knows how many weeks. And this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That is where the, 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 the source of life is. And I love, you know, when he talks about eternal life. You know, eternal is something, is something that always existed. Theologically, theologically uh, you know, eternity spans this way, both ways, not right and left. You know, it goes both ways into what we see as past and future. You know, and it's, it's just a, a wild thought, everlasting, you know, from this point on. Uh, but here he talks about it, what he's telling us is you're not going to find life without Jesus. You're not going to find life without him. Life is revealed in Jesus. Life is experienced in a relationship with Jesus. And this life is shared. This life is shared. Notice what he says there. What we have seen and heard... We also declare to you. You see, it's shared. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. John was telling what he knew about Jesus, the same thing we are called to do, to tell what we know about Jesus. We're called to tell others what we know about him. We are not called to argue with anyone about God. He does not call us to argue with others about God. He doesn't call us to change someone's religion. Everyone doesn't go to missionary church. He's not calling me to change someone's religion. If all I've done is change someone's religion and not introduce them to Jesus Christ, I've, I've not accomplished anything. I've only made myself feel better. You know, if I can't tell them about Jesus, if I can't tell them who he is, this is what he's called us to do. This is what he's, what he's telling us to do. You know, we're not arguing with them. We're not changing their religion. We're to tell them about Jesus. Tell them about your relationship with Jesus. And in the book of Acts, you know, in the very first chapter, and, and they're, you know, they're interacting with Jesus. And, uh, as he's talking, and he says, you know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be. You say, well, I wonder when I'm going to be. You are. If you have a relationship with Jesus, right now you are a witness to him. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you just may be a lousy witness. You see, that's, that's the thing. You are a witness. 
You know, you are a witness to him. When somebody finds out that you're a Christian, you know, that, that you are that witness. I remember, you know, talking with somebody one time and uh, where they worked, I knew someone else who worked there. And they said, I said, oh, do you know so-and-so? They said, yeah. They said, I know him. How do you know him? I said, we go to our church. They were floored. They said, what? What? He goes to church? Well, yeah, you know. Don't be a lousy witness, you see. The way you talk to people is your witness for Christ. The way you treat people is your witness to Christ. Boy, one of the things that really frustrates me is when, uh, you know, some, uh, when a, someone goes to a, a restaurant and has a meal and they leave them a tract instead of a tip. That's, your, that's their tip is a tract instead of a tip. You went into that restaurant knowing that this is how these people are, make their living. This is how they earn their living. You know, if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to do it, then you shouldn't have gone there. Uh, you know, I think if nothing else, you should give them a, a better tip because you're a Christian and God has blessed you. If He hasn't, you know, if He hasn't blessed you, you really need to open your eyes because He has. There's the reality of it. But you see, you are a witness. You are a witness. You will be, not you can sign up for it, not some are and some aren't. You, you will be my witnesses. You are his witness. Those who have a relationship with, with Christ Jesus are his witnesses. And when we have a life in Christ, we have fellowship with others who also has a relationship with Christ, he, talks, he tells us. You know, we have fellowship with God himself. And in verse 4 where he talks about joy, that joy, that joy is that, is that byproduct of fellowship with God. John chapter 15, he says, I have spoken these things to, to you so that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be complete, may be full, may be overflowing, may, you know, that, that there's nothing lacking in there. It, you know, you say, well, my joy isn't there. That's because sometimes we put our joy on things instead of the person of Christ. Or we even put our joy on people. You don't have to raise your hand because every hand here would go up. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Yeah, we have. Have you ever been hurt by someone you love? Yeah, we have. If your joy is dependent totally on another person, you're going to be hurt. If your joy is tied to Jesus Christ, does that mean it doesn't hurt when, when people that you love and care about, you know, are mean? No, it, it, it still hurts. What it means is, what it means is, I'm not devastated to the point of oblivion. That I know where I can turn to. I know who brings that joy. I know that source of joy. You know, I have written these things, spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. John, this, this writing here of John, it's an eyewitness account so we might know that Jesus, you know, we know, might know about life and that life is revealed in Christ Jesus. Life is experienced in a relationship with him and life is shared with others who have that relationship with Christ Jesus. He talks about that fellowship with one another. We're going to get into that in the weeks ahead. We get to share life with God himself. God wants you to know this life. We're going to continue on in this book in the weeks to come. Take some time, read through it. It's not a long book. 
read through it, and you'll probably preach a better sermon on it than me, and that's okay. Know this life. God wants us to know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for life that is ours in Christ. We don't get it and understand all of it, that's for sure. We, we, uh, we struggle sometimes to find that joy because we get distracted. We get our hearts and minds tied up in other things. But let that joy that is ours be made more and more complete because of you. And our relationship with you is a gift. Thank you for that. Help us to see that as we go from here today. That each day, Lord, help us to not only know that joy, but to see, to see your love and care for us. And to take joy that we have the privilege, honor of having a relationship with you. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.